For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Ortiz fights it off center field. Damon run into the plate, and he can keep on running to New York. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. I can't circle. I don't have my telestrator today, but why? here comes a pizza. See it? <laughs> This is our fucking city, and nobody gonna dictate our freedom. Stay strong. Welcome back to the Name Redacted Podcast, America's most beloved podcast, the most downloaded Red Sox podcast on the internet. Uh, this is gonna be a little bit of a different feel to the show tonight, or this morning, or today, or whenever you're listening to this. Right now, it is 1.12 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Red Sox just uh, finished a series with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, formerly of California. Uh, they just so happened to lose that fourth game, which sucks. But at the same time, it's like, all right, you know, we'll, we'll give you one. It's fine. And why this podcast is different is because we just did the uh, the stream, which we normally do on Tuesday nights. We did it tonight. Because it's International Dark and Stormy Day. Shout out to Goslings. We'll talk about them a little bit later. Uh, but Tyler's here. Jake's here. This is the first time we've done this show together in person. This is the first time meeting you in person. I know. What were your first impressions? Very handsome in person. Really? Mm -hmm. Thank yeah. you. Especially without the glasses. Wow. Yeah, especially without the glasses. This has been a motherfucker of a week. Not just a day. It's been an absolute grind. Red Sox are on the West Coast. Uh, we've had a billion things to do this week. And it's really like tomorrow morning, like Tyler has to go to Sports Hub. I, I still think that you should go from here and just like try and sleep there. I think that's the move. And like there's a either I sleep inside or I have a fence I can park in. Yeah. SUV. I could get some good sleep in. You should do that. Like the fact that like. You're even considering driving back home and then going to Sports Hub is is insane. I can buy myself two hours too. Between, yeah, you know, driving back there now and driving in the morning, sitting in traffic mm -hmm. for an hour and a half. Yeah, I feel like that would be the move. I have to be up at seven forty-five, which is nothing that I can complain about. Knowing what your schedule is, Jake still has to edit the podcast after this. Uh, do you have to wake up early tomorrow, Jake? No, I think I'm good. All right. Usually they schedule Jake for like 20 meetings a day. So I, I never know. Um, We're 162 guys, though. 162. This is what we do. We knew we knew coming into this week that it was going to be a gauntlet. And I knew that Thursday was going to be the day that uh, I don't want to say sucks the most, but perhaps the tallest task would be. All right. You got to do this. You got to do Sports Hub 6 or 7. Then you get a stream 940 to fucking one o'clock in the morning. And then you get to do the podcast 115, whatever. Then you get to wake up at 745. So like when I when I get back tomorrow, I don't think I'm going to leave my apartment for the whole weekend. Like I've made that decision. 
I'm not doing anything all weekend. I'm just chilling. Like it's my first chance probably since last weekend that I've had to just like not do anything. And that includes from the second that I wake up until the second that I go to bed every single day. Like the schedule is just like fucking wake up, go and then go to bed pretty much. Um, But that's enough complaining about (laughs) the schedule and the lack of sleep. We're just giving you some perspective that, hey, we're 162 guys. We're out here grinding and we're recording the podcast in my living room in person for the first time. Uh, obviously, no Pete, no Pat. I don't even think we bothered to ask Pat. We we FaceTime Pat during the stream and he was already intoxicated. And that was heavily two hours ago. Uh, so there was no chance that, that we were going to get Pat on the pod. And I don't know where Pete is, but I would never even ask him to stay up until quarter past one to to do a Red Sox podcast. So here we are. Um, the Red Sox winning streak is over. It ends at seven straight and it kind of felt like this was going to be the night. Uh, you know, you see the lineup come out and it's like, all right, no Bogarts, no story. You, you punted on this one. And I think it's a luxury that you're in this position to do stuff like this because you weren't, you know, two weeks ago mm-hmm. or a week ago. That's what I said. I said the Red Sox are already resting their players for the playoffs. And that, I like that. Alex Cora is getting his guys rest. And I think he even said that about Nathan Avaldi. Um, was that yesterday? When he came out with the uh, hip tightness? He had the hip tightness, about 80-something pitches into, into his start. And Avaldi said it was something that he, he was experiencing before he even took the mound. And Cora's message essentially when he went out there was like, hey, we're not playing to win tonight. We're 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 playing to win. Oh, they're showing the the Nickelback tweet on MLB Network. Show the caption, MLB Network. <laughs> Show the fact that Nickelback tweeted me. I'm tagged in this tweet, MLB Network. Anyways, uh, that was the message. It was hey, we're playing for October. We're not playing to win a game in the first week of June. We're playing for all 162, and we're playing for beyond that. Um, and as 162 guys. I think I think universally we can probably respect that. Alex Cora told us it's a marathon. He's said that all year through the bad times, through the good times. This is part of it. And it's a night where you face Shohei Otani, one of the most talented guys in the game. He took the game over, right? You tip your cap. You're going to need going into this Mariner series. They've been playing better baseball. You already kicked their teeth in. You've basically created the hole they've been trying to dig themselves out of. You need to be geared up for this. And you bet on the West Coast. We feel like shit. Those guys obviously feel like shit. They haven't had a day since they got over there. You got to pay it back at some point. And I don't know, a loss like this, don't get me wrong, you want to keep the winning streak going, but you set a new season high, you reset, and then you come out tomorrow with your full healthy lineup, no injuries, nothing's kind of slowing you down. I don't know. I feel like the vibes didn't change today. No. It felt like it was just a, a plateau day. Yeah, this this was a punt day. Uh, you had won seven straight. You'd already won the series. Um Bogarts had the injury on on a swing a couple games ago. Uh, he was visibly in, in I don't want to say in pain, but like it was some discomfort, pain, whatever you want to call it. Headed back to the dugout, uh, came out of that game, was in the lineup the next day, which was yesterday. Had a hit too. It wasn't like you look like dog shit. Had a hit, um, and then you obviously you have the I guess benefit 
of being able to to give him a day before you have a weekend series in Seattle. Same thing with Trevor Story. Uh, I think he dove for a ball at second base, landed on his shoulder or arm awkwardly, and he was kind of trying to shake that thing out a little bit. And, you know, if, if these were overly concerning injuries, both players have played a game since they suffered these injuries. Um, it was just a matter of like, hey, we're going to give you guys a day. We'll come back at it in Seattle. We've got some more travel. It's the last leg of a 10-game West Coast trip. Come back to Fenway after that next week, and uh, we'll see where we're at. But I guess when we're looking at the comment section of the stream, and here we are bitching about Xander and Story not being in the lineup, Angels fans were in there being like, hey, we don't have Taylor Ward or Mike Trout in the lineup, so fuck you, and we've lost 14 straight games. Like, just give us... Instead of making excuses for why you're going to lose this game, please give us some credit for finally winning the first game in two weeks, which I'm happy to do. I'm more than happy to give them credit for that. That's that's fine. You guys want to take that credit? Take that credit. They needed it. I don't know. I, I think you look at this entire series, too. You also got Rafael Devers' debris there. But I think my biggest takeaway just from this stretch as a whole is it feels like the bullpen itself finally the roles are somewhat defined again. Mm-hmm. You went and, you know, props to Michael Walker. We're going to get obviously into what he did. But really game two and game three where you needed the bullpen to carry a heavy workload to keep you in there. You saw Tanner Houck finally settle into that new late inning high leverage role similar to what Garrett Whitlock did, but stuck to one to two innings. John Schreiber working as kind of your setup guy. Followed me on Twitter today. Ooh, okay. okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then Matt Strom getting two saves in this series. Enter the series with just one. Yes. So you're seeing what I think was supposed to be the moment in Baltimore. That day they were up 8-2. And it felt like, oh, this is the game where everything kind of comes together. You're seeing the team function on all cylinders. Well, no, we got that the last couple of days. And I think that's a major thing for them moving forward, just to have some of that confidence in the bullpen. Is it perfect? Hell no. They still need more help out there. But the th- things are clicking and things are forming when they needed to. Like I think those are the things that make a team have an identity. Yeah. And it feels like the Red Sox have finally carved out that identity again. Yeah. And I do want to talk about the bullpen situation um, because obviously uh, you had to love what you saw from Strom in this series, from Schreiber, maybe not so much from Diekman. Danish. Danish, besides uh, his last appearance there where he hit someone. That was what, second inning or? Yeah, he was all right. Um, But you go into this series with high hopes because you're coming off a a confidence builder against Oakland. You sweep that one. You come into a series against a team that hasn't won a game. At that point, was it 11 straight? Yeah. They're they're on a double-digit losing streak. You're like, perfect. Let's fucking go in there and, and do something. And that first game, we talked about Michael Walker, complete game shutout, six strikeouts, three hit performance uh, versus Noah Syndergaard, who who is pretty good in his own right, but obviously uh, was outlasted by Waka. Michael Waka on the year has a sub two ERA, which is exactly what everyone said he was going to do when Heim went out and signed him two weeks into the offseason. We were like, this is the guy. This is the guy that's going to pitch his way to L.A., the all-star game, and he's going to start game one of the playoffs for the Boston Red Sox. That's what everyone was saying. 
Everybody wants to go in and say, you know, dumpster diving, whatever it may be. Well, you look at the Dodgers. Look what Tyler Anderson's become this year. Yeah. The Red Sox have found their own version of it. And Michael Walker in what he's doing. Is he missing a ton of bats? Hell no. We did see his best velocity of the season. Mm -hmm. Turn it up to what? 96 to punch it by Shohei Otani Mm -hmm. multiple times. Great sign because that's what made him. It felt like down the stretch last year, he was really seeing that velocity tick up. But right now. He's in the 84th percentile for hard hit percentage, 73rd percentile for barrel percentage. It's nothing but soft contact. And in most cases, you'd freak out that he's not striking out a lot of guys. That's not the MO. That's not what the Red Sox are trying to do with him. They know with that changeup, if he keeps throwing it up there, guys are just going to keep pushing it into the ground again and again and again. And I think you look at the Red Sox right now, that trust that, that Alex Cora is putting in them, because I don't know about you guys, I thought when he came out into the seventh, they were pushing it. It felt like he was getting squared up. There was the Jared Walsh liner that Devers ended up jumping up and getting. But props to Alex Cora, and this is something I was a little upset with early in the year, where I felt like he was putting too much on a weak bullpen. You know, guys were coming out like Waka after like 60 pitches. And we were kind of sitting there like, oh, well, you know, he looks as good as anybody we've seen pitch this year. Now you have three complete games on the year. There's 22 teams with no complete games. Seven with just one. The Red Sox have three. They have three. Three different guys, too. Exactly. And all of them, it's not Alice Core saying, hey, go figure it out. Mm-hmm. Like 105 pitches for Waka, 100 for Pavetta, 108 for Evaldi. You're not killing these guys. No. They're not throwing 125 pitches and you're saying, wait, we got to kill our rotation because we don't have a bullpen. And no. then weren't two out of the three shutouts? Uh, just one of them. I think Waka's Waka is a shutout. I mean, Evaldi uh, gave up Evaldi three. three. I think Pavetta was two. Okay. I was just looking at it and I, I I don't want to I don't want to just like blow past this as as a moment. This is the first podcast that we've done where the Red Sox have a winning record. Wow. Mm-hmm. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. The Red Sox. Uh yes. So the Red Sox had a winning record on April 17th. They were five and four, but then they lost the next day to the twins. So we recorded at five and five. So we've never, and then they, they, they haven't had a winning, that was the only day that they had a winning record all season. They started off 0-2, 1-2, 1-3, 2-3, 3-3, 3-4, 4-4, 5-4, oh wait, no. Then they went 5-5, five and five, then they went 6-5, and five, but then that, that was the first game of the Toronto series, and then they lost the next two in Toronto, 7-7, seven 7-8, and 7-9, seven, seven and 7-10, and 7-11, seven and 8-11, seven and yeah, that, yeah, so they... They've only had a winning record two days uh, prior to getting to uh, 500 b- before this Angel series. The last game of the Oakland series, they got to 27 to 27. Then uh, there were three games above 500 coming into the game tonight. They lose the finale. So now they're two games above 500. But I'll take it. That's, this is our first podcast with a winning record. How does it feel? Jake, how do you feel right now? I feel pretty good. I, I mean, I've taken seven straight ice baths, so <laughs> yeah, it's honestly nice to get a night off as mm-hmm. much as I love them. Yeah, I mean, the whole ice bath thing, like I've seen plenty of people trying it. Um, it's working. It's working. And, you know, I've I've shared some of the conversations with with you guys uh, that players players have been saying. It. I mean, they're they're literally keeping track of how many days until June twenty eighth. Um, a lot of guys just don't want to come anywhere close to saying it that are on the team. And, 
you know how if you if you win a series or you win the last game of a series, they'll be like, yep, happy flight. You got a figure coming off a seven game winning streak and you lose the last one, but you don't have story or Bogarts in the lineup. It's still a happy flight. I don't think guys are boarding the plane with a solemn mood or attitude or anything like that. It's still a happy flight to Seattle. You just lost your first game of the month. Mm-hmm. First game of the road trip mm-hmm. on West Coast trips. How many over the years have we seen that have gone sideways for the Red Sox? Yeah. That have been heartbreakers, that have been frustrating, where the team just looks dead. You found ways, you won in ways you haven't won throughout this road trip. And I think that's the biggest thing. And now you get to rest, guys. You get to have that above 500 mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, there's penalties when you're not. I think Kike Hernandez, you couldn't give him a breather. No. And he kind of played until he couldn't play anymore. Correct. And now he's on the IL. You're not going to take that same chance with a Xander Bogarts or a Trevor Story who've been banged up the last couple of days. Yeah. Yep. Kike to the IL is, uh, it, it changes a lot of things. Um, especially, yeah, like it changes a lot of things in terms of your depth when Kike can play center field, he can play shortstop. And um, when you lose him, and you have a game like tonight where Xander Bogarts is unable to play shortstop. I mean, I'm, I don't want to say it's like unable to as in like if if this were October 15th and we're in the ALCS, Xander Bogarts is playing shortstop. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, it, it, I don't think it's that bad to where we're talking about the injured list or any significant downtime for him. But I feel like Alex Cora looked at this as, all right, we've made our point. Uh, we've won this series and we need to get this guy a day fine like it's the same mentality as that he had when he was talking to nathan avaldi when he came out to the mound we need to give this guy a day we're playing for 162 and beyond we're not playing for sweeping the angels in june who gives a flying fuck we won the series so that's where we're at on that i mean obviously we have more reactions to <clears throat> this series it's crazy we don't even <laughs> DraftKings is not an ad read for this this show nope Anyway, shout out to DraftKings because uh, this is a DraftKings podcast, um, but there's no DraftKings ad read. We can talk about SeatGeek, though, because I uh, I was at the NBA Finals game three, Jake. Yeah, wish I could be there, but didn't want to pay my whole salary for one ticket. Yeah, they, I I had to lie to my dad and tell him that I got the tickets for free. I said I got them from Coley. <laughs> uh, it, he like talked himself into the lie. I like I FaceTimed him and he was with my mom and I was like uh I was like all right like we're it was like Wednesday night we're gonna go to the finals and he's like we're going to the finals I was like yeah we're gonna go to the finals and he's like but you didn't pay for them right I was like no 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 I didn't I didn't pay for them you get them from Coley I was like yeah 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 I got them from Coley he's like yeah Cole, Coley's got a the friend with, from the ticket place I was like yeah yeah Coley Coley's got a friend I actually like I like FaceTimed Coley the next day and I was like hey. Uh, if my dad like tries to like thank you for the tickets, just like go along with it. Like just say you're welcome. <laughs> that's that's great behavior from a son, though. Yeah, you don't well, even want credit he, for it. he for whatever reason, he was just very, he was like, I'll like, I'll, yeah, I'll go to the finals. But like, I don't want you to pay for like an arm and a leg for the tickets. I was like, all right, fine. I was like, done deal. Not a, not a big deal. And um, I mean, he basically he you know, he he. He wrote the the lie for me. So uh, we went to 
the NBA Finals. It was his first time ever going to a Finals game. He was very excited. He was big into it. The fact that the Celtics won and it was it, you couldn't have scripted a better game because uh, Celtics came out firing early. And so we didn't have to sweat it out in the beginning. Um, they, you know, the the Warriors are always going to be uh, superhuman in the third quarter. That's their M.O. Um, but it was it, it was never a doubt once the fourth quarter rolled around. It was just an overall very enjoyable experience. And I'm, I'm glad that uh, that we were able to have that that uh, both be our first NBA finals game. But all that just to say shout out to SeatGeek. Uh, Cause, Dad, those tickets were not free. Those <laughs> tickets were fucking pricey. But with the SeatGeek promo code, I mean, it helps a lot. They weren't pricey because it was SeatGeek. It was pricey because it was the fucking NBA Finals in Boston. SeatGeek was the only reason you could afford it, right? And they were really good fucking seats. Yeah, there were, we were in a suite. We were up in the suite. I had, I had lobster mac and cheese. Um. Yeah, there was a crazy guy. I, would t- I told this story on baseball. That fucking absolute lunatic was in the box with us, just screaming at everyone to get up. And it was he was pissed that it he was pissed that the energy level wasn't high enough at seven thirty. The game started at nine. Like the players hadn't even like come out yet for like warm ups. And he's like, I don't fucking like the energy level in here, man. Like it's it's too quiet. There's too many rich people here. It's like no, dude. It's because it's fucking seven thirty. Um. Anyways. Uh, with SeatGeek, SeatGeek is so beloved by butts everywhere. They've made it the highest rated ticketing app, whether it's concerts, baseball, basketball, football, festivals, or anything else. SeatGeek puts tickets from all over the web in one place to make buying simple. SeatGeek rates every ticket from zero to 10 to make sure you're getting a good deal. Green means good. Red means bad. And you can get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase with the promo code Jared, J-A-R-E-D, at SeatGeek.com or on the SeatGeek app. That is promo code Jared for $20 off your first SeatGeek order. SeatGeek, get your seat in a fucking seat. Download the app today. Um, Yeah, a lot of people were tweeting me asking if I was going to be out in Seattle for... uh, the Red Sox series. And I, I wish that I planned ahead to do this. Um, but yeah, I won't be in Seattle. It's one of the ballparks that I really want to see. Um, kind of fucked up, kind of fucked up that I didn't plan ahead on this one. I'm an idiot. That's on me. Hand up. Maybe next time. Actually, if, if the Seattle Mariners, cause I'm not going to rule this out. If Seattle Mariners can finagle their way into the postseason. I'll go. I'll be in Seattle. Uh, but anyways, Michael Walker, complete game shut piece in game one and uh, in game two, which was which was really fun for me because this was also the same night that uh, the Paul McCartney concert was at Fenway. So I was just sitting in my living room here, just like opened up the windows, opened up the slider could literally hear the whole concert. So I had like the game on mute, watching baseball, listening to Paul McCartney until like 10 o'clock. Um, Garrett Whitlock. We got to talk about Garrett Whitlock. Mads. I'm. It's. It's not concerned. It's more just like borderline irritated. I guess is almost the word. Like Garrett Whitlock was in God mode as a reliever. Not even just as a one inning guy. Like he could go out there and give you two, three, 
four innings and just be dominant. Um, and then for whatever reason, the Red Sox were like, oh, we need to make him a starter. Let's put him in the rotation instead of just getting another fucking guy that can go out there with a fucking four ERA and, you know, not strike anybody out. And I'm not saying that I don't think Garrett Whitlock is any good anymore. It's not that. He's just, I use this word a lot. He's been very pedestrian. Uh, You'll take a a low four ERA from a starter that kind of goes like six innings at a time or whatever. But when you saw what Garrett Whitlock was as a reliever, which is virtually untouchable, a guy that can strike out the world and dominate everyone with that unhittable slider, you want to keep that. And then you turn him into the starting pitcher that has a four ERA and doesn't really strike anybody out. Like you can get that guy anywhere. You can't, you can get starter Garrett Whitlock anywhere. You cannot get reliever Whitlock anywhere. Those are two completely different guys. And like, I get the whole argument that people want to say, well, he's more valuable to the Red Sox because he, if he, as a starter, cause he's giving you more innings. All right. Well, if the innings are like okay innings, I'd rather have the handful of fucking dominant innings. Like I don't even know like what we're talking about here. And and I don't even know that we're really at a point now where many people disagree with that. I feel like more people right now, if you were to ask them, do you want starter Garrett Whitlock or do you want reliever Garrett Whitlock? I would love to see what that voting total breaks down to. I would imagine 90 if we put out like obviously right now it's fucking 140 in the morning. If tomorrow or after next start that he makes, if we were to put a poll up, do you want starter Garrett Whitlock or reliever Garrett Whitlock? It's going to be 91% or higher for reliever Garrett Whitlock. And I think the Red Sox have gone and, tell, or gone and told you with Tanner Houck in his new role, how much they missed that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Now, just the stats for Garrett Whitlock, 83 innings pitch as a reliever since he got in the big leagues, 184 ERA, 284 FIP. 10K per nine, 2.1 walk per nine. As a starter, nine starts, 39 innings pitch, 415 ERA, 362 FIP, 8.8K per nine, 2.1 walk per nine. So the Ks dropped about down one. Lately, it's been even a little more shoddy in that sense. I think where Whitlock is, and the big thing to pay attention to right now is he's right about at 50 innings on the year. Last year, he threw 73 innings. Hmm. In terms of workload and where he's at, if we project a month forward when Chris Sale should be just about ready, knock on wood, if everything goes right, he's going to be already touching his total of innings last year. Mm -hmm. Can you expect a guy who already looks a little tired out there? He looks gassed. And I hate to bring this up. Did you see him limping? Yeah, Red Sox. I mean, I know you didn't see it, but Red Sox stats (laughs) tweeted uh, the video of him limping going over to the third base side. Uh I don't know. I mean, I feel like I, I didn't I didn't see anyone ask Alex Cora about this after the game. Did anyone ask? Did we get like sound for that? I think Cora just mentioned he, you know, just kind of a little banged up overall. But I he didn't reference the moment we all think back to, which was earlier in the season when he was going to first base and he had that weird little slide moment mm. and he kind of like whatever that kick to first base, and then he was limping around. He finished Mm. the game off. He's a tank. Before Mm. Garrett Whitlock became a starter for the Red Sox this year, is that something he's been fighting? Is that something he's dealing with? Yeah. Which makes the conversation of him starting right now even harder. And listen, I think Garrett Whitlock is a long-term starter. 
he has the ability to do so. But when when the Red Sox kind of didn't address the bullpen the way they needed to, and they put themselves in this spot where he started the season as a reliever, immediately got shot back into the rotation, it just hasn't been the smoothest process for him. And I think that's why you're seeing the inconsistency. He's trying to learn how to pitch as a starter. Yeah. It's just where this team is at right now, You there's better ways to operate. And maybe right now, at this moment, you just got to get through with what Garrett Whitlock is. And then you can switch, but there's no reason come next month when Chris Sale is ready that you shouldn't have him in the back of that bullpen with Tanner Houck, with John Schreiber, with Matt Strom, and immediately you have a bullpen you no longer panic about on a night-to-night basis. Yeah, and and I just thought of the best comparison that I can think of for speaking my language here. Um, I didn't want Garrett Whitlock in the rotation at any point. This isn't just like a... Ever? I'm yeah, like like I'm not it wasn't before the season started. We were talking about putting Whitlock in the rotation before the season even started. So this is not revisionist history. This is not me seeing what the numbers are as a starter versus a reliever and being and then being like, well, now I want him as a reliever. Like he should have stayed a reliever. At the beginning of the season, when it was being discussed that the Red Sox wanted to stretch him out and make him into a starter, it was very similar to you're dating a girl with blonde hair and she's been blonde for the two years that you've been dating. And then all of a sudden she's like, I think I want to dye my hair black. And you're like, no, yeah, no, I, I can't, I, I can't see it. I don't like it. Like, I like you as a blonde. Like I, like I, I'm attracted to you as a blonde. Like that's, that's the girl that I started dating. Like now it's like, you want to make your hair black. It's like, you're going to be like a completely different person. It's like it's the same person, but it's just so different. Like that's such a a drastic change. Like I like you the way that you are like this. And that's how I felt about Garrett Whitlock, where it's like, no, no, no. I I you're the same. You're still Garrett Whitlock. You're still a pitcher. But I just I love you as or a dominant reliever. Like I why would we why would we change this up? Like you're you're perfect the way that you are right now. Why are we gonna make you this starter? not knowing how that's going to go. I don't know how that's going to go. And now we, I mean, it's still not, exa- what did you say, nine starts? Yep, nine starts. Nine starts. And some of those starts were still like I three think- innings, like, and we knew we were only going to get three innings. So it was almost like the same thing as a reliever where you, you were just, he was an opener for a little while. Um, I, I just, I look back and I think the pedigree's there. You just, that first angel start where he was just blowing it past guys. And it was like, whoa, like this is not a number four starter. That was the nine strikeout game, right? Exactly. Like where you could say, all right, I understand it. We just haven't seen that same stuff. And the reality is stuff is going to tick down. The velocity has ticked down when you have a heavier workload, when more is expected of you, when you have to go through a lineup multiple times and they've game plan for you. That's been one of the biggest things they've talked about with him was He'd come into these games and teams weren't ready for a guy who was throwing high 90s, pushing sinkers into the dirt, and had three pitches he could work off of. Well, now when they game plan, you've seen it. Guys stepping out of the box, laying off different stuff. It's just there is an adjustment period here, and this just doesn't feel like the best way to kind of handle it right now. I think ultimately, at the end of the year, they'll look back at this time and say, all right, it's good that he got those reps together. It probably shouldn't have come together like that. I just... I think it's worth still trying him as a starter come next offseason. I'm not off that train by any means.
Yeah. I because I, I just I've seen him excel in it. It's just it's been super inconsistent. Even going back to the last start against uh what was it, Baltimore, where he went six innings and he didn't strike out or walk anyone. Um that's like kind of the stuff you look at and you're like, all right, he's not missing bats, but he can still get by. It's just, is there a middle ground there? But I agree with you. If it's going to be a four year a guy, he should be in the bullpen pitching yeah. three innings and just dominate. But that's the, that's the he's issue. Just better now. Than that. I think we all think he's better than that. Yeah. The issue for me now is if you put Garrett Whitlock back into the bullpen, which is something I don't think the Red Sox will do because it's 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 admitting fault. It's admitting that they made a mistake, uh, which they have too much pride when it comes to that. Um, and they have to admit they didn't do enough during the offseason. Yep. They have to admit like, oh, shit, like we we didn't go. out, And I think that they know that. I mean, I've heard people over there say that, like, yeah, like, what the fuck? Like, we didn't we, we needed relievers and we didn't get any, um, which is not entirely true. But uh, they didn't do enough. We can agree there. It would be admitting a mistake by putting him back in there. And you're not guaranteed to get dominant Whitlock again. Like, and, and I don't want to say like, oh, they broke him. Uh, that's not that's not how I feel about it, because if we're talking about Garrett Whitlock having this this injury that he's not talking about or disclosing, if he's pitching injured, then maybe there is hope for Garrett Whitlock, the starter. But I don't think that you're doing yourself any favors by still taking the but if if you're too hurt to pitch effectively go on the injured list and I had this talk yesterday um with Will Middlebrooks we did that we filmed one of the first episodes for that new Nesson show Beyond Fenway and he was talking about when he first came up and he had a wrist injury and he was talking about how yeah like I I played through it because <clears throat> I was young it was my first year in the big leagues and I didn't want to lose my spot. I didn't want to uh I didn't want to like go on the injured list or have surgery and then they just move on like next next guy up and next thing you know you don't have a job or you're expendable, or you're stuck in the minors or you get traded or whatever. So you play through it. I mean, it happens. It happens in this organization. Like that's that's a first hand account of that. Uh I don't know. I don't know what if Garrett Whitlock's injured, I I don't have any inside information on that. Um, stats posted the video of him limping. We have reason to believe that there could be an injury because of the ineffectiveness. And he's visibly in pain. So who knows? I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to make excuses for the guy. But we saw what he's like when he's right. And it's not this guy. It's not even like he's a fucking full blown disaster. I mean, like the fact That's that how he's good, he is. Yeah, like he went four innings, six hits, four earned, five strikeouts, gave up the homer. So like it wasn't a great start by any means. Um, but he hasn't had any completely just like absolute bum ass starts this year. Um, but I don't know. It, it might be too little, too late. It might be a situation where, um, you know, if you if you can get him right, maybe he does become the elite starter that you thought you were going to get. But Jake, what are you, uh, what are your thoughts on the Garrett Whitlock situation? I think the analogy about your girlfriend changing your hair after two years was money. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just like the old saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm -hmm. Like I was so used to just having that one dominant reliever in the pen that you could just always rely on. And now we just swapped him out for a middle of the road, like three, four, starter 
It's like, yeah. let's just go back to what we were doing. Yeah. Why'd you have to change, babe? We had a good thing going. We had a good thing going. And it's because, you know, I think... Um, I think the extension is part of the conversation. The Red yep. Sox showed how they viewed him. Mm-hmm. And I think going to the injury thing you just referenced, Jared, for a guy in Whitlock who started in the minor leagues, obviously it was different when he came back from TJ and, you know, was a Rule 5 pick. Did he say, and when it comes to his health, I need to pitch right now because this is my chance to prove I can be a starter. Mm-hmm. This is my chance to become, you know, an elite guy in this league. And I don't think it was a crazy conversation that, you know, after those first couple Garrett Whitlock starts, we were putting him really just behind Nate Evaldi as the best pitcher on the staff. Mm-hmm. That just hasn't been who we've seen. No. You know, and we've seen Nick Pavetta dominate over this stretch. It's just, I think this year you chalk it up. It was up and down. But the sooner you get him to a relief role, the better it will be for this entire team. Yeah, I agree. And I've been saying it for fucking weeks now. Um, People killed us when we said that, too, like yeah. a month ago. Yeah, I mean, I, I got told that it was a short-sighted way to look at it, and I just don't give a fuck about, like, like you, you do what's best for the team. Like, you can still, at some point, be like, all right, fine. Like, the long-term vision for Garrett Whitlock is as a starter. Fine. But what does the team need from him right now? They need him to be in the back end of the bullpen, putting up fucking... Uh, a, a sub one ERA and a and a half a fucking one whip and a strikeouts per nine of like twelve. Like that's what they need, and that's what he was, and that's what he could be. But instead, you've got him out there in the rotation for what? I mean, I guess this is James Paxton's fault. <laughs> no, but seriously, think about the short sightedness of people who went and said that about Garrett Whitlock in terms of you know we're being short sighted. The Red Sox told you this year before Chris Sale went down in a perfect world where Chris Sale's healthy right now. Mm-hmm. Tanner Houck mm-hmm. and Garrett Whitlock are in the bullpen on opening day. Yep. That's the best view of this team. That's what the Bloom and the Red Sox thought process was. Shit hit the fan. Chris Sale's ribbed, fractured. We get it. They showed you and they showed you on top of it with James Paxton, mm-hmm. who would be ready later in the year and you know, probably knock out Rich Hill. Those guys were supposed to be in the bullpen, and that's where you can understand and be like, all right, I understand why they didn't do as much on the bullpen. Still speaks to not doing enough for the pitching staff as a whole. But the Red Sox know the best, you know, the best structure for this team is those two guys available to you at the end of games or even in a multi-inning role that you can play off other guys. So, because um, people in the in the chat during the stream were like, what the fuck's the deal? With Paxton, uh, I mean, every time someone brings up his name, I'm like, man, I totally forgot that he was on the fucking team. So the updates with uh, this is from Nesson.com. Uh, Sale through a bullpen today, and we'll throw another this weekend before facing hitters next week. The Athletics' Jen McCaffrey tweeted on Wednesday. Uh, this is Josh Taylor, who a lot of people forget is also on the team. Uh, I think he like hurt his back, like fucking like sleeping on the couch or something, bothering him since last year. Yeah. Uh, Josh Taylor has a bullpen on Friday, which is tomorrow and faces hitters next week. And Paxton might take the mound for the first time in Seattle on June 10th. So that's t- today right now. Um, 
So what's he gonna do? He's just gonna face. He's probably not gonna face hitter. He's probably just gonna throw off the mound. Yeah, they're gonna they're seemingly taking it very slow because he was he was throwing bullpens during spring training, mm-hmm. and then he had the posterior elbow soreness or whatever it was, and they kind of freaked out. And he's been playing catch, but it's gonna be a buildup. Still, it's what June June tenth right now. Yeah, like say he throws bullpens for a month, and then he needs another month to get back. You basically get him back when you got Chris Sale back last year. And Chris Sale gave you nine starts for like a 315 ERA. I'm not telling you Paxton even has to start. If you can get a guy out of the bullpen throwing 97, 98 from the left side, that has value as well. And then that doesn't even mention the AAA arms and just one of those guys emerging. Yeah, this says now it appears that Sale is back on track and trending towards rehab starts sooner rather than later. Uh, and then for Paxton... Um, could actually join the team ahead of ahead of schedule, and and should uh, should the remainder of his throwing program go smoothly. So you've got not one. People keep forgetting about Paxton, and I'm not putting my eggs in in that basket whatsoever. But it's more just like, all right, if you have Sale coming back and you have Paxton coming back, that makes it so that the Red Sox don't have to admit a fault. Like you're not saying like ah maybe we shouldn't have put Garrett Whitlock in the rotation, but I mean Rich Hill was really good his last time out. Um, you have two starters coming back. You're not gonna put Sale in the bullpen. You're not gonna put Paxton in the bullpen coming off a of fucking TJ. Uh, it kind of gives you an out. Like you don't have to say like yeah we fucked up by putting Whitlock in the rotation. We shouldn't have done that. It's more just like all right you know he uh, we mentioned the innings from last year. How do you limit his innings? It's like, yeah, we're, we're trying to protect him. So we're putting him back in the bullpen as a way to limit his innings as we continue to develop him uh, as we see him as a, as a starter in the future. We tried him out there this year. We liked what we saw. No, you didn't. <laughs> and uh, we're, we're, we're putting him in the bullpen to address a need. That's all you got to do. Fine. I don't hate that. But. Will they do that is the question. They should. I don't know what the who, what the fuck else. You, you're not going to take Pavetta out. You're not going to take Evaldi out. Uh, you're not going to take um, Waka out. And then you got Rich Hill. You're not going to put Rich Hill in the bullpen. So I don't know. I, I, might, I'm, I may have just talked myself into believing that the Red Sox are going to return Whitlock to the to the bullpen in the second half of the season. I, I just think that was the original plan. And I think. If anything, for better or for worse, it gave them an excuse to see something they wanted to see. Yeah. And unfortunately, did it go probably the way they wanted? No. I think they were hoping he'd join and maybe it'd go so well he'd prove that he was just too good to ever go back to the bullpen. Mm. This hasn't been the case. But I think worst case or, you know, in their eyes, if worst case scenario is they have one of the best bullpens in baseball come August Mm -hmm. with a great starting rotation. And that's why I've continued to say I think the Red Sox are going to be one of the best second half teams in baseball. Because everything is rounding out from them, from what they have down in AAA. Whether Tristan Cassis can get fully healthy, obviously that's a question. But, you know, I still think we should see him at some point this year. Mm-hmm. Why can't this team be at another notch, you know, when really the games matter more than ever? Yeah. Here's what I don't want to have happen. If Paxton or Sale is able to return before the trade deadline... And they do make that move where it's like, all right, we're going to put Whitlock back into the bullpen because we have Sale or we have Paxton in the rotation now is them being like, all right, well, now we don't need to get a reliever. Yes, you do. 
even if you put Whitlock back in the bullpen, yes, you do need to go get another back-end guy. Because A, we don't know what the effectiveness of Whitlock is going to be upon his return. Like, is he still, like, I mean, the, the we talked about it a few weeks ago. The whiff rate on Garrett Whitlock's slider is 33% of what it used to be. Like, it doesn't matter, you know, if you're a starter reliever, whatever. If if the velocity's down and you're not pitching with the same effectiveness with with your your major out pitch, doesn't matter if you're in the bullpen or you're in the fucking rotation. So yes, you still need to go out and get a reliever, whether or not Whitlock is is there or not. So what I'm hoping is that obviously uh uh and, and then you also you have a fucking Chris Sale still should be looked at as a guy coming off of Tommy John, even though that's not what he's coming back from this time around. He's still a guy that's coming back from Tommy John in the latter stages of his career. And James Paxton is directly coming off of Tommy John. So I'm not putting any stock in their ability to stay healthy, their ability to be effective in the second half of the season. Um, So yeah, that's why, you know, you could see a scenario where, Garrett Whitlock goes from the bullpen to the rotation to the bullpen to the rotation in one year. Which like, is that's awful, on the table. Which is awful for a guy who's trying to develop at the correct level. Correct. Now, Jared, I don't think I've heard you answer this. Mm. What is your outlook on Chris Sale? At this point, say he returns, like you said, I think it's probably the right mindset to question, you know, and kind of treat him with kid gloves. Mm-hmm. Do you think we ever see the Chris Sale of old? Do you think that is gone? Do you think that's still a possibility or do you just hope at this point he can be a, you know, 320, 330 ERA guy or maybe something that even resembles the David Price we got, which was a good starter, but not a great starter. Yeah, I mean, I I think. uh, I don't think the days of his dominance are done in terms of like. Like, do you think he'll ever have another, you know, top five Cy Young finish? Like, is that? No, no, no. Because I don't think they'll, he'll ever have the innings to get Cy Young votes like that, like top five Cy Young votes. But in terms of like the eyeball test and the numbers for smaller samples. Yeah, I think he can be he can be old school Chris Sale dominant for smaller samples. But in terms of like the 2017 season that we saw from Sale uh north of 300 strikeouts like i think that that he, he's not max scherzer he's Near not, 100 every time out like. yeah I, he's not a guy that's like hey i'm fucking 36 37 years old and still going out there and contending for slash winning cy young awards i don't think that 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 that's where chris sales the remainder of his career is going to be but i think it's closer to a kershaw how you should kind of handle him. not all yeah. the way i think kershaw gets you know extreme kid gloves because of the stuff he's gone through yeah. but i think it should be that kind of approach at least to begin and then you if he somehow pushes his way out of it great but where you're not asking him to basically carry a rotation on his back ever yeah again. like like the the comparison that i was going to use it for for ends of the spectrum here is that when chris sale comes back i don't expect him to be 2009 pedro like when pedro went to the phillies he was still in a playoff rotation, but he wasn't fucking Pedro. He wasn't 99 Pedro. Like Chris Sale's not going to be 2017 Chris Sale. Um, but I don't think he's going to be 2009 Pedro. Like Pedro was going up there trying to get outs with a fucking, you know, 89 to, to 91 mile an hour fastball. 
That's just not what you're used to seeing. But Pedro, is a, he was a pitcher. He can fucking four-seam, two-seam, curveball, slider, cutter. Like, he, he could do all that shit to you. Chris Sale is predominantly fastball slider. And his slider is nasty. Um, but what makes the slider so devastating is if he's throwing that fastball out of the same exact arm slot and the fastball is 97 miles an hour. I mean, like at some points, like, you know, 2018 before, like first half of 2018, he was able to throw the fucking fastball like 100 miles an hour. Um, In the playoffs at points last year, it was like mid to like somewhat high 90s. Um, But I think when we see him come back, like there was that weird thing with Chris Sale when he first got to Boston and he was like, 93 94 and then everyone was like he he throw he doesn't throw as hard on purpose and everyone's like what the fuck are you talking about like you can't like if you can throw harder you throw harder like, he, that's he's an intense guy and whatever like talking about his velocity and then out of nowhere next season he's fucking blowing 100 like that that game at uh at Yankee Stadium where I made the the TikTok of I was, I was sitting behind a home plate like ringing up all the Yankees in Yankee Stadium. I think he struck out like twelve batters. Um, he was throwing fucking high nineties triple digits. Like he can do that. Uh, I don't think we're gonna see triple digits Chris Sale anymore. But I think I think what we should get used to, and and again this is just a guess, but kind of what Tanner Houck was last year, where He's in the rotation, and you send him out there to see the lineup twice and probably not for a third time. Maybe. Maybe he sees it for a third time. But, like, if you're trying to maximize what you can get out of Christopher Allen's sale, uh, you want to keep him healthy. You want him to take the ball every five days, and you want the best of the best that you can get out of that guy. I think it's it's kind of in the same ilk as a 2021 Tanner Houck where it's like, hey, we we know what the numbers are. We want him out there for maybe five innings, see four or five innings, see the lineup twice, and then get the fuck out of there and hand it over to the bullpen. And I think a big part of it will be the changeup. Does the changeup come back? Mm-hmm. Because he tried and he tried and he tried and he couldn't get it back last year. And we saw, you know, in the playoffs, he was a two-pitch pitcher, just mm-hmm. like Tanner Houck. Yep. And that's just... Number one in the playoffs, he got smacked. But overall, you're, like you said, you can't go deep into games. I just, I think there's more there, and I hope there's more there from Chris Sale. It's just you can't depend on anything more than that right now. Yeah, like like last year, last year the theme was tread water until Chris Sale gets back. Like he was viewed as not necessarily a savior, but when Chris Sale came back, that was the now we go moment. Th- that's not the case at all this year. Um, like, I I think it's only that from the sense of it pushes Whitlock out. Yeah. If that's the case. Yeah. It's more like roster f- configuration. Like, all right, Chris Sale's back. Now Whitlock can go to the bullpen. We can see what Sale is going to give us here. You know, it, it, it might even be like, I don't know. Do you do you, do you explore adding a starting pitcher at the deadline? Do you do you move Rich Hill to the bullpen? I mean, I don't know. Like you, you've got your options, I guess. But it, Chris Sale coming off the injured list and joining the team halfway through the season for the second consecutive year has a much different 
less important feel this year than it did last year when when he was going to come back because you know you you have a guy coming back from Tommy John surgery and the whole thing is well when you come back from TJ you throw harder and he had had the the problems like his whole career so you're going to get this like brand new like Chris Sale 2.0 and it just wasn't that and that's okay like he was still good enough like he was still I mean he wasn't the the seven, eight inning guy anymore, but the innings that you were getting from Chris Sale, uh, for the most part, when, when he came back, were, were great. This time around, I'm not expecting, I, I guess I don't know what to expect. I'm not expecting bad. I'm not expecting good. I just, I don't know what to expect when Chris Sale comes back, which is why I'm more just super intrigued about the trade deadline um, because I want to know what Heim's thinking. And I think in order to really properly address the trade deadline, they have to see Sale. They have to see Paxton. Uh, They have to move Whitlock back to the bullpen and see what does that look like now that he's back. And then you can kind of assess, all right, maybe we need a starter or maybe we need some more bullpen. Like, I mean, you need bullpen help regardless, but like how badly do we need it? You know, if you do have a guy like, uh, Garrett Whitlock that can go back to the bullpen and actually be dominant again. Who knows? So yeah, it's it's a lot of like what ifs, and I guess that's a good problem to have, like to the, be excited about, like yeah, like what the fuck do we have here? I don't know. It could be anything. There's solutions. There's answers. Will they be the correct ones? We're gonna see. But I think at times last year it felt like there wasn't those answers mm-hmm. outside of Chris Sale. It was all on him, mm-hmm. and if he couldn't come back and be Chris Sale. We all kind of said, all right, well, this team, you know, whatever the highest ceiling is of that World Series was going to be very hard to reach. And, you know, they did what they did on the postseason run despite him. Um, but I think we all could look back. If Chris Sale was Chris Sale, last year looks a lot different. Yeah. You know, they, they have a chance to go all the way. Um, and we saw all the way even down to the end with Chris Sale and some of those key moments. He was able to turn it up to 97, but even that was not vintage Chris Sale. Yeah. He was still getting hit around. Yep. Yeah. Needs a third pitch. Needs that third pitch. I do look back, though. The story with him over the offseason was his arm strength was back. He said he had worked on it. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't. Is that 96? Can he hit 96? I don't know. Is it smart for him to try to do that at this point? Mm. Probably not. Um, But that's the question. Because can he get by sitting 93, 94 regularly? Not with two pitches. Not with two pitches, no. No, with a third pitch, yes. Um, but yeah, this is the American League East. As a starting pitcher in the American League East, you cannot be a two-pitch pitcher. I don't care how good your slider is. You're just making it 50-50. You're making it 50-50 for the, pitcher, uh, for the, for the hitter up there to be like, all right, I'm either going to get a wicked slider or if, if he's out there throwing 94, if I'm sitting fastball, all right, yeah, I might look ridiculous if I swing and miss and it's it's a slider, but eventually he's going to throw me a fastball and I'm going to be able to more than catch up to 94, um, which is how you uh, end up giving up grand slams to Jordan Luplo in the playoffs. <laughs> As if you're a two-pitch pitcher and somebody's sitting on something and they have a 50-50 chance of guessing right. Um, no disrespect to Jordan Luplo, who I like. Uh, I met him. I met him in February. He was at uh, Kevin Pulecki's golf tournament. Great guy. <laughs> but, I mean, you shouldn't be. He he should not be hitting grand slams off of Chris Sale. One in, of the greatest the pitchers of his generation. Yeah. Um. 
but yeah, I think with Sale too, it's when he comes back, he's going into a gauntlet. Mm-hmm. There's no time to figure it out. No. Like you are going to be in the middle of an AL East race of the best teams that have already made it. So you need to play amazing baseball yep. in July. Yep. You can't afford because you still have not beaten an AL East team uh, in a series this mm-hmm. year. Correct. Still need to do that. And you played the Orioles twice. That's not a good look. It's not great. Um, Jake, do you think that uh, Chris Sale likes Freshly? I bet he eats it for every meal. I bet he does too. Especially now that he's rehabbing and he's trying to get back on a big league mound. I mean, there's no better way to do it than to have nutritious meals every single night for dinner. Um, and the best thing about that is obviously he's he's working out. He's watching video. He's doing strength training. He's doing everything he can to get back to the Red Sox. So he doesn't have fucking time to make dinner. He doesn't have that kind of time. That's where Freshly comes in because it's food that's fast, but it doesn't have to be fast food because Freshly offers quality meals without the hard work. Their meals are designed by nutritionists, cooked by chefs, and then delivered fresh. Other meal deliveries need to be prepped and cooked, but Freshly is ready to eat in just three minutes. No one wants to spend an hour cooking dinner after a rough day at work or an infuriating commute. At the end of a long day, takeout doesn't have to be your only option for an easy dinner. Whether it's for you and your whole family, Freshly gives you convenience, flavor, and nutrition. Get delicious, chef-made, nutrient-packed meals delivered straight to your door. No cooking required. Fresh and never frozen. Ready to eat and enjoy in just three motherfucking minutes. That is so quick. When you think about how long a, a dinner takes to be prepared, three minutes? You kidding me? What a deal. Use the Freshly website or the app to find uh, meals that fit your lifestyle with plans that work for your dietary needs, preferences, tastes, and family size. Choose from over 50 nutritionist design entrees <laughs> like their classic. I've been talking for the last five fucking hours. Um, like their classic steak peppercorn, multi-serve sides like their masterful mac and cheese, or their new line of plant-based meals. Skip the grocery shopping and dirty dishes. Your meals arrive cooked and fresh every single week. New meals are added weekly, so you're never stuck eating the same thing over and over. Stop stressing about dinner right now. Freshly is offering our listeners $125 off your first five orders when you go to Freshly.com slash Boston. That is $125 off at Freshly.com slash Boston. It's uh, 10 past 2 a.m. Eastern Standard. <laughs> the week that will not end rolls on. <clears throat> what time do we start recording, Jake? Uh, the podcast or the stream? The podcast. I think like 110. Oh, so we're like an hour in. This is all great. This is like this is the Chris Sale part of the podcast. Anything that you get here is just bonus. That's a bar. Yeah. You just you got. You got a solid hour. I mean, I, I just did an ad read on memory alone. Like, I'm so fucking tired that I was like going cross-eyed doing the freshly ad read. I was like, I, I think I recognize some of these words. Um, but the show, show must go on. Um, I love what I saw out of Matt Strom in this series. The dude's got balls. 
He's got that closer mentality. He did the interview after the game on uh, Tuesday. Where it's like, you know, you know, you go out there, you grab a save. What is he? He had, he had two saves in the series? Yep, back-to-back. Back-to-back saves. Um, you know, we mentioned Tanner Houck earlier. That Tuesday night game, the 6-5 to five win. Game was tied in the bottom of the ninth. You had a leadoff dinky double from uh, Tyler, Tyler Wade. Wade. Just shot a little cue shot down the left field line. Ends up at second base. The double thumbs up celebration. And the Angels would go on to strand him there. Three straight outs. And that was Tiernan Houck in his second inning of work. You had the ghost runner. Christian Vasquez, the, the most clutch hitter in, in Red Sox history besides David Ortiz. He liked that tweet, by the way. So he agrees. He's taking the crown. Or, Let's you know, see. Secondary crown. Pretty much. I tweeted the prince of clutch hitting. I said, anytime you need a big hit, just dial up Christian Vasquez. He got you. And he liked that tweet. Just throughout this entire series, he was so clutch, whether it was, you know, that hit in the 10th, you know, or before that, um, or no, the next day bringing in, you know, or no, what first game? Yeah. First game where he uh, knocked in and Verdugo came around like back to back game one and two major hits game three makes a huge defensive play. that didn't get talked about enough mm-hmm. saving Trevor story from an error, making that pick at first base. Like you can go to those three wins and he played a major role in every single one of them had a major moment. And I think it's just more what Christian Vasquez is doing. The guy's hitting above 300 dating back to the beginning of May. And I don't think there's anybody even the biggest Christian Vasquez fans that believed he would have done something like this again. Cause you didn't see this version of him at any point last year. No, I love Christian Vasquez and he's reinvented himself. I think he's, he's, I think he's refocused is what it is. And you know, you've been in the organization forever. Um, and I, I, I think it probably does something to you a little bit when, when you hear your name in trade rumors, you have two options. You can use that as motivation or you can pack it in and say, wow, this, they, they don't want me here. Well, I want to go somewhere that appreciates me and I want to go somewhere that they want me. Well, first, you have to look at why. Why was was my name in trade rumors? Because they felt like they could upgrade. OK, well, what if I feel like I can upgrade myself and then I can be the the catcher that you're looking to acquire? You already have him. He's right here. He's Christian Vasquez. And that's essentially what he's done. I've, I I can't speak to how he feels about things. Um, it had to bother him that Kevin Puecki was getting starts over him at times. Yeah. You know, obviously we know he catches neat, but it was beyond that. Mm-hmm. And they were basically 50-50. Exactly. And Cora said he met with Vasquez's agent. They were talking mm-hmm. and they were trying to just figure out what was Vasquez's outlook. And I think, you know, Cora's talked about it. Vasquez can't be the guy who was hitting homers like he was, you know, right. what, what that was, was just not juice baseballs. We get it. He needed to become someone who could shoot the ball the other way, really closer to the earlier Christian Vasquez before that mm-hmm. didn't hit the same heights, but now it feels like he's hitting the ball the other way. He's spraying it better than he ever has. The defense has been good for the most part this year. Um, and I think lately just the way he's been handling the pitchers, very impressive. Much better than what I had seen at previous points. And Cora's given him props for that at the end of games as well, especially during Waka's uh, complete game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's uh, 
he looks like he looks the best that he's ever looked if we're being honest um defensively offensively uh he's definitely a leader on this team and uh i'm happy that i'm happy that this happened because i i don't know i i didn't want to i didn't want to move on from from christian vasquez i didn't want the red sox to to look in a different direction it's like yeah the guys right here it's just you gotta you gotta figure it the fuck out you've gotta you've gotta make some adjustments here um you were the runner-up for jacob stallings yeah yep the red sox were able to win not one but two games by a score of one to nothing in this series and at times it looked like it looked like they were about to join a very elusive club of teams to sweep a four game series with a plus four run differential (laughs) it looked like they were on pace to do that at, at at points tonight um but Nate, as we talked about earlier, the five shutout innings in the third game here, Danish, uh, he looked good. Diekman actually uh, didn't suck. I don't think Diekman sucks. It's just he's got to fucking harness that shit. When you throw a slider with 28 inches of break, it's uh, I get that it it's, can't be the easiest pitch in the world to control, but goddamn, you got to get it limit the traffic a little bit there it's the same feeling i had with adam Ottavino last year but like 10 times worse 10 times worse especially coming from the left side and then schreiber just doing what he does but strom which is how we got on the topic of the bullpen uh saving back-to-back games um in games two and three of the series it seems like he is comfortable out there and wants the ball in that role and he he was at, I think Jamai was interviewing him after uh, the second save of the series. And, you know, do you like being a closer? Do you want to be a closer? And he's like, I just I just want to be out there. Like he's like, you know, we got a great group of guys in the bullpen. All of us are ready. Like when that bullpen phone rings and our name is called, we're ready for whatever situation that you want to put us in. And that's the the diplomatic response to that. But if you were to strap up matt strom to a lie detector and be like hey do you want to be the fucking closer of the boston red sox the answer is fuck yes i do i've done it um i think he i don't want to say he's proven himself but he's done it and uh i don't know what is your confidence level in in strom getting the ball in the ninth inning i'd (laughs) say it's about an eight out of ten an eight out of ten yeah, maybe seven, something in that area. I'm like a seven. A lot of people would look and say, well, he has a 378 ERA. Well, you take out that implosion against Baltimore, mm-hmm. it looks a lot different. What's the fifth this year? 164. Ooh. 164. I like that. 10.8K per nine, 2.2 walk per nine, zero home runs allowed. What's the whip? The whip is uh, 1020. I love that. It's a guy who just not putting people on. He's going to pitch to contact. He's not going to walk, guys. And when he does give up a hit, it's not panic. Did he only pitch against the Orioles in that one game? Um, Yeah, I think so. He had some really weird usage over that stretch where he was getting, like, significant time off. There was something weird where he had barely pitched for, like, a week or two span. Um, But, yeah, I think with Matt Strom, seven or eight, something in that area, is he, you know, an elite closer or anything like that? I, I wouldn't go that far, but do I think he's a true high leverage arm? Yes. And a guy who's not 
faulty against lefty or righties. And you can throw him in just about any situation. The second save he got, he came in with one out in the inning. Uh, so, you know, not a guy who needs to come in with nothing going on. Just tell me where to go and I'll be there. And I'm curious to see what his numbers are against everyone except for the Orioles. It has to be completely different because his ERA was almost spotless before that. Um, but yeah, he got touched up for a hot second. I think there were some concerns whether he was fully healthy with how he was being used. Um, but yeah, the Red Sox are showing they're willing to lean on a guy like that. And he's turning out to be one of the bigger steals of the offseason. Because I think realistically, when those signings happen, I was a Matt Strom guy. I was very high on him. But most people thought Jake Diekman would be the one getting those high leverage spots, not right. him. Right. I don't know. It's not letting me fucking deselect the Orioles. They don't want to see. They don't want us to know Matt Strom's numbers. Let's see what we can do here. Um, okay. Just looking here. Mm-hmm. He has given up a run in four different appearances this year. He gave up one run April 17th against the Twins. He gave up two runs April 25th against the Blue Jays. The next time he got tagged was for three runs against uh, Baltimore on May 27th. And he only pitched a third of an inning that day. So that's the big one. And then he got tagged for a run in... uh, the Oakland wins seven to two on June nineteenth. So hold on, read or off June third. How what teams has he pitched against this year? I'll do it that way. He has pitched against the Yankees, the Tigers, the Twins, the Blue Jays, the Rays, the Blue Orioles, Jays, the Blue Jays, the Rays, Orioles. Well, we're disc- we're not including them. Oh yeah, sorry. Angels, White Sox. White Sox. Braves and Astros. Braves. Astros. And then Mariners, A's, and Angels. It's just, I think when you look at consistency, there hasn't been a guy you can lean on as much as that. Wait, the Astros, and then who? The Astros, Seattle, Oakland, and Angels. His ERA jumped from 188 to 368 after that Baltimore performance where he got rocked. This is taking way too long. I think it should be a sub two. Uh, Or at least something right in that range. The Oakland A's. Okay. Did they add it yet? Is it in there? Yeah. Okay. All right. So that took way too long Good to work. figure out. Uh, this is these are Matt Strom's numbers on the year when he's not facing the Baltimore Orioles. So everyone else except for Baltimore, a one two nine ERA, a one sixty FIP, a zero six four WHIP, and a strikeouts per nine of ten point nine three. Pretty good. That's a guy you lean on in those spots. And Pretty I Pretty good. We were all cl- saying we wanted to see Matt Strom start to close out games. Mm-hmm. He's getting the situations. I think 
can, do you want him out there every single day? No, they're going to use him as a fireman sometimes and get big outs. But to have an arm like that you can lean on, it's huge, especially when you're going to use Tanner out the way you're using him now. Yeah. Wow, that is <coughs> a lot better than what I mean. The fucking zero six four whip. He's walked three batters. He's only allowed two earned runs, six hits. And then the two saves came <clears throat> against the Angels. But yeah, that's pretty legit. A lot of, and he's going to get paid this offseason. Someone's going to give him a good amount of money because yeah. uh, of what he can do. And they're using him. Some people thought he would be multi inning here. That's what he did, you know, when he was with the Padres. But they found a pocket for him. Just keep doing it. Stick with it. You should have done it a while ago. I'm just happy they figured it out now. Yeah. Yeah, that fucking the, the the Baltimore numbers inflate everything to it's just not as sexy. It's in its it was that one outing. Or is it multiple outings against Baltimore? No, that legit. It was that one outing, his, one outing, his other outing against Baltimore. He didn't give up a run. Nuts. The only teams who scored a run are the Twins, the Blue Jays, the Orioles and the A's. So if he had a scoreless appearance against Baltimore too, then like you could add to, like these numbers look even better. We're talking low one. We're talking low one with like a fucking hat. Yeah, like what I was talking about, like a zero five whip. That's nuts. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like Matt Strom, he's gonna he's gonna have some big moments in the postseason where the Red Sox are one thousand percent going. He just doesn't get love because he doesn't throw ninety nine. Yeah, that's it. He's, he's not Josh Hader. No. It's like, oh, you lefty and you skinny and you got long hair? You Josh Hader. Oh, you don't throw 98? You're not. Like, Matt Strom is, he's, he's not Josh Hader, but he's, he's the first Matt Strom. We love that about him. You know what else we love? Fucking dark and stormies. Because today, or at least it was, it's 2.30 in the morning. Uh, it was previously... International Dark and Stormy Day. Uh, if you're like me, every day is Dark and Stormy Day. Today, June 9th, is International Dark and Stormy Day. And my friends at Gosling's Rum are celebrating their loyal fans all over the world. The folks who had their first Dark and Stormy on a trip to Bermuda, to Bermuda and came home to order it from their favorite bartender over and over again. Head over to Gosling's Rum dot com to find exclusive deals on Gosling's rum merch that you won't find anywhere else available uh, for a very limited time for the fans. The Gosling's family has been making rum in Bermuda since 1806. That is eight generations. Malcolm Gosling Jr. is here today to show us how to make an authentic dark and stormy cocktail and uh, tell us how to drink. Tell us how the drink became the official cocktail of the Boston Red Sox. Remember, you can get Gosling's delivered right to your door. Visit goslingsrum.com and get $15 off uh, your order of any Gosling's rum beverage using promo code DraftKings. That is promo code DraftKings at goslingsrum.com to get $15 off uh, your order of Gosling's rum. 21 and over, obviously, and uh, drink responsibly. So we're going to kick it to this uh, quick little interview that I did with Malcolm Gosling, and then we'll come back with the stop and shop look ahead. All right. First of all, I want to say welcome back 
because this is a, this is a partnership that I've been excited about having in, in the past. Uh, when I heard that Goslings was going to be coming back to the name Redacted podcast, the podcast to be named later, I was very, very excited about that. So first and foremost, thank you. Thank you for coming back. Of course. We're going wherever you're going, mate. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, Malcolm Gosling Jr., uh, this is uh, this is an exciting partnership because uh, it's the official cocktail of the Boston Red Sox Thursday. And if you're if you're a fan of the stream, we usually do the streams on Tuesday nights. We moved it to Thursday this week because Thursday is International Dark and Stormy Day. Uh, can you just give the folks a little history on why that date in particular is International Dark and Stormy Day? Yeah, well, it is a very important date. Like, I don't know why it hasn't been announced as a bank holiday yet. Mm. Fighting for that every year, um, at least in Bermuda. Um, but June 9th specifically is uh, the date that we received our trademark for the Dark and Stormy. Mm. So the Dark and Stormy cocktail is one of a handful of cocktails. I think there's only four in the world that have a, a trademark attached to it. So by law, to make a Dark and Stormy, it has to be... Gosling's Black Seal Rum, ginger beer, and that's it. It's like the easiest cocktail in the world to make. Um, and we did that back in 1980. Um, and we've been protecting that trademark ever since, um, every year. And um, to really protect the integrity of the cocktail. So this is Bermuda's national drink. We don't even have a national anthem, but we have a national cocktail. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> So what happens? Like, what happens if I go to a bar in Boston and I order a dark and stormy, and then they don't <clears throat> use Gosling's Black Seal Rum? Like, can I can I perform a citizen's arrest? Um, <laughs> yeah, you can be a part of the dark and stormy uh, police. It's the stormtroopers, um, especially Boston. It would be pretty rare to find that, um, just because Boston is kind of our second home from Bermuda. Um, but no, I mean, in that case, in most cases, it's just a lack of education on our part. And so when a bar or restaurant puts it on there with a different rum, they have no idea that we have a trademark um, or that the cocktail is trademarked. And so it's up to us or the dark and stormy police, you now, mm -hmm. to go in there and just tell them, hey, this uh, is actually a trademark drink. It should be made with Gosling's Black Seal rum and, uh, and ginger beer. And it's not to say that other rums don't taste good with ginger beer. It's just that nothing tastes like a dark and stormy. And so as soon as you start switching out rums or ingredients, it's just, it, it's a different cocktail. That's true. That's a fact. And, and so you're, you're moving full time to Bermuda. You mentioned that it's the official cocktail of Bermuda. Where does the connection to the Red Sox come in in Boston? So Bermuda and Boston, New England have had a relationship for like hundreds of years that um, obviously rum comes into the picture because Massachusetts was a huge rum town back in the day, um, or still is, but mainly because of sailing and just the proximity of New England to Bermuda. Everyone thinks of Bermuda as like being maybe down in the Caribbean. It's in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And so now you can fly from Logan straight to Bermuda in an hour and a half. Um, so it really is the most convenient, like tropical, subtropical place that you could go 
from New England, but we've had sailing regattas that date back to like hundreds of years. We have the Newport to Bermuda race, um, actually next week, it's every other year. And uh, that's been going on for over a hundred years. So there's that tie. And so Bermudians love going up to Boston um, for their vacations. Mm -hmm. um, but Boston is where we kind of made our home when we expanded to the U.S. So even though Gosling's has been around for over 200 years, it was founded by my sixth great grandfather in 1806. Um, we didn't start exporting until my father, who was the seventh generation, he actually went to Boston College. Um, he was in college. He started the export program and he <laughs> and he was doing it from Bermuda. He was throwing dark and stormy parties in Boston while he was in college would have his friends from Bermuda literally bring up bottles of rum in their suitcase. And he would throw these small parties at yacht clubs to like massive parties at, I think it was at the Omni Parker house in Boston where he had black seal, black tie parties. I love that. In the eighties. Um, and so I think it was like open bar or it was cash bar for everything other than Gosling's. And he saw, just the popularity of the cocktail, people truly loving it and kind of thought, why are we just keeping this in Bermuda? Because before then you really had to like just fly down or sail down to Bermuda, leave some clothes in Bermuda and see how much you could fit in your suitcase to bring back. That was the only <laughs> way to get it. Just um, smuggling back bottles of rum. <laughs> exactly. Everyone was a rum runner before that. Um, so yeah, he started it. And in the early 2000s, he actually moved up to Boston and was there for um, 17 years. Oh, wow. Um, so that's where a lot of our Boston roots come from. That's why hopefully you won't find a dark and stormy with any other rum in Boston. Yeah. And our partnership with the Red Sox. Right. So I was going to ask you about that. Who in the line of Gosling's lineage uh, brokered the first deal with the Boston Red Sox to say like, hey, we, we are the official cocktail of the Boston Red Sox? That was my father. Okay. Again. So shout out to your dad for that because sure. now you have like... also Malcolm. Yes. So, so you have the, the Fenway Park green, dark and stormy in a can cocktails. So I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot right now. <clears throat> Because I can't personally decide. Uh, I go back and forth. It's almost like, you know, you'll get like on like a Beatles kick and then you'll be like, oh, Beatles are my favorite band. And then you'll get on like a Led Zeppelin kick and be like, well, Led Zeppelin's actually my favorite band. Do you prefer the Dark and Stormy in a can, the canned cocktails, or do you prefer making your own Dark and Stormy with the two ingredients and a little bit of ice, maybe a little lemon wedge or, or a lime wedge? It depends on. The setting mm -hmm. so at Fenway, that can is just perfect. Mm -hmm. And what's great about our dark and stormy in the can, because it is a trademark cocktail, it is exactly how you'd make it at home. So it's Gosling's Black Seal Rum and Gosling's Ginger Beer. That's it. If we use anything else, like if we decided we wanted to use a malt base for it or something like that and just try and create a taste like a dark and stormy, mm -hmm. we would be infringing on our own trademark. That's true. So it is exactly that's integrity right there. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I, I just love the convenience of the of the can. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's the easiest cocktail in the world to make. And I'll show you how if you don't remember how I think you do. 
Oh, I definitely uh, do. It's, um, I don't know, there's something about just like popping open that, that cold can. So I, I would agree that like if I'm at Fenway, I want, I want the canned cocktail. But if I'm at home watching the game, there's just something about the aesthetic to, especially because you guys spoil us. Like I have like the, like the goslings, they look like the, um, <clears throat> like the wooden barrels, but they're glasses. Yeah. If you make a dark and stormy in that, yeah, that guy right there. Yeah. If you make a dark and stormy in that, you just, you feel, you feel more, uh, like you're in a vacation setting. Like it feels yeah. more tropical to drink a dark and stormy out of that thing. Definitely. Definitely. And you can kind of control how much rum you put in. Exactly. You had a yes. long day. You want to put in a little bit more that would equal like a 7% can. Right. Make it hurricane force. Yeah. Well, I understand that. Yeah. So what the folks at home may not know, and this is actually really, really cool, is like Gosling's has their own like nook in Fenway Park. Like at the EMC level, you guys have your own suite and it's got like a boardroom in it. And the boardroom, like I've seen like the suites at Fenway, like they're like, oh, like this is the so this company suite and that company suite. They all look the same. The Gosling's suite slash boardroom is completely customized to Gosling's and has uh it's it's almost like a, a visual history of the company on the walls. Like whose idea was it to kind of make it that way? It's almost like a it's almost like a Gosling's speakeasy inside Fenway Park. Yeah. Like have you realized that? Yeah, yeah. I haven't really thought about it like that, but yeah, exactly. Like no one knows it's really there and then you walk in and it's obviously rum everywhere, but yeah, a bunch of our old advertisements, um, which were all done by uh, a local Boston guy who was head of our marketing, Glenn Kelly, um, came up with some awesome um, advertisements throughout the years, especially when we first got to Boston. He, uh, you couldn't really find the product everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's kind of crazy to think about now, and this isn't going back that far. This is like early 2000s. And so he kind of played on scarcity equals desire type of thing like you're not going to be able to find it but we're still going to advertise mm -hmm. and so like had this whole campaign on harder to find than you know cheap gas mm -hmm. and the one that really got us headlines and this is the whitey bulger one the whitey bulger yeah <laughs> yeah and this is when he was still on the run yeah um, yeah it was the billboard right outside of fenway on the mass pike there almost as hard to find as Whitey Bulger and right. every single news station picked it up. My dad started freaking out. He called him. He was like, whose name is on that billboard contract? <laughs> Glenn told him that it was his name. He goes, all right, cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was wild. Um, and so we have those all up throughout the, uh, throughout the boardroom. Um, and then it's some of the best viewing from Fenway. Like we have really comfortable bar stools kind of next to the EMC site or Dell section. Um, but the way that that kind of came about was pretty crazy. And it goes back to just my father being based in Boston and like being in the Boston community. Um, he was playing in a, or we donated a trip to Bermuda for a charity golf event for a silent auction. And Larry Lucchino bought it. So he came down with his family to Bermuda and um, 
we hosted him in Bermuda and my dad and him hit it off. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he was just, I think it was his first time really trying the dark and stormy. And when you try it in Bermuda, it hits different full effect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he was like, we got to get this in Fenway. Yeah. Love that. But it's not really in our budget right now. He goes, no, we'll find a way. And so the boardroom at that time was just a boardroom that was marketed towards companies that would come in and have a meeting and then watch the game. And they were having a pretty hard time selling it. So we thought that would be a great idea. Let's put a rum company who's basically sponsoring your meeting at Fenway. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and sure enough, it worked. I mean, this is like 11 years ago, I want to say, uh, 12 years ago, maybe. And since then, that boardroom has been sold out for every game. Um, we get it for a few games. Last time I saw you, I think it was up there. Yeah. Um, a few games out of the season. But, yeah, it's been an amazing spot to kind of show off the brand and I think, like, the best spot in Boston. Oh, yeah. Cathedral yeah. Boston. A hundred percent. And, and uh, I told this story uh, probably, I don't know, last month. But they they had the the lobster rolls just they were unlimited. They just kept coming in. I'm just oh, in there yeah. smashing lot. It was like, yeah, hey, can you design like your perfect setup? And I was like, all right, yeah. How about how about you just have this room? It's inside Fenway Park. You just bring out dark and stormies and lobster rolls. Like that's that's kind of like what I would love to have. And that's essentially what that room was. <laughs> exactly. The food's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really doesn't get much better than that. No, it doesn't. Uh, all right. Before we let you go, and obviously to cap this off, we need to see scientifically uh, the the quantities that you would put into a dark and stormy. Do you want me to make one now? I want you to make one right now. All right. Are we telling people what time what time it is right now? What time is it right now? Ten twenty one. Ten twenty one a.m. Eastern uh, Standard uh, Time. Yeah. I feel like that's a, that's an appropriate time. Like I would say before 10 a.m. you're probably pushing it, but 10:20 that's a that's a nice little like start to your day. Oh yeah. It's summertime, like beautiful out. Yeah. So start with your glass full of ice. Mhm. Preferably the barrel glass. Yep. Um which will actually we didn't talk about tomorrow we're going to be um launching our limited edi- limited edition merch drop um that's going to be an online store that's available throughout the end of the month and it's filled with a bunch of stuff that like our most requested stuff mainly on social media when we do these one-offs with different flags glassware um shirts hats whatever um you know all about merch you're like you big time big big merch guy (laughs) and so we're actually releasing that for the first time our most requested items on darkandstormy.com, including these barrel glasses. Um, So you start with that, you pour about six ounces of ginger beer, got Gosling Stormy ginger beer here, Mm -hmm. which we developed to make the perfect dark and stormy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you top that off. Two ounces of Gosling's Black Seal rum. Mm-hmm. Now, are you a stir guy, or you let it sit up there? That's that's the I have one sip. 
Yeah. Because it is just straight rum. One right, exactly. Stir it up a little bit. Uh, <laughs> squeeze of lime. Are you not making one with me? I thought I was. I mean, I I would have. I didn't come prepared to to make one right now. We are inviting Jared mm -hmm. out to throw out the ceremonial first pitch. Yes. And he's going to one up Steve Aoki, right? Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. I mean, if you want me to, I'll throw it in the press box. Throw I mean, it whatever. Order. If I like I could throw out a perfect first pitch for this game. But if if we're talking about viral marketing here, if I'm wearing a Gosling's T-shirt, and I just so happen to fire a baseball into the press box. I don't know. I feel like that's... I think more people are going to see that. Yeah. Yeah, I will not argue against that. <laughs> Who, but I do want to get you like a proper... We're going to make up a proper Gosling's uh, jersey. Beautiful. Yeah, I'm down for that. Uh, who, who... If I could hand select, uh, who would be the catcher for me throwing out the first pitch? Who do you think I should pick? Um, Veritek. Veritek. I mean, he'll be there. I bet yeah. you he would do it. Yeah. I could definitely get him to do it. That'd actually be pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> All not, right, I'll I'll okay. I'll ask him the next time. The next time that I'm at Fenway, which is I don't know when, whenever they come back on a Friday, I will ask Jason Veritek. Uh, I'll be like, Hey, Tech, I'm throwing out the first pitch. Uh, I've I've dreamed as a young child of stepping on the mound at Fenway Park. And pitching to Jason Veritek, can you make my dreams come true? And he'll be like, "All right, yeah." <laughs> and you, if you have to throw in some rum to sweeten the deal for him, yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. All right, thank you so much. We appreciate you uh, following us on our journey to the to the next project. It means the world to us. International Dark and Stormy Day, June 9th. Go out there, get your canned cocktails. Uh, you can go out and get the ingredients. All you need is ginger beer and Gosling's Black Seal Rum. Uh, we appreciate all the support from you guys. And uh, let's let's really do that Bermuda thing. We're, I want to do that. Yeah, me too. Let's get working on it. All right. We're going to get Jake on it. And uh, thank you so much. And I'll, I'll, I'll see you at Fenway. Yeah. Thank you, guys. And congratulations. All right. Big thanks to uh, Malcolm Gosling Jr. for... Uh, Hopping on the pod, International Dark and Stormy Day, big day. We we're celebrating it on the stream. We had fucking dark and stormies all over the place. Um, very excited that Goslings is back in the mix. Excited to make content with them, for them, by them. We got to get in that suite that we were talking about there. Uh, I don't know if you know this, Tyler, but the Goslings uh, boardroom is like in a little corner at EMC at Fenway Park. And they've got this big ass boardroom. It's like they've got uh, all kinds of like old advertisements that Gosling's used to have back in the day. But I described in the interview, I was like, you basically have like a speakeasy inside Fenway. No one can just like roll up in there if they want to. But we have access because obviously Gosling's are... Uh, Loyal partners of ours, so two way street here. We love Gosling's, Gosling's loves us, but they have lobster roll. Have you had a Fenway Park lobster roll before? I have not. Do you like lobster rolls? I've never had one. You've never had one? No, I just have my palate hasn't. Have you ever had lobster? No, you've never had lobster. I've never, I live off of the 99. I mean, I do too. 
big buffalo tender guy. Yeah, they just got rid of the 99 Saugus. It's terrible. Uh, Jake, you ever have a lobster roll? I have, but never at Fenway. So then you've never had a lobster roll. Is it the best you've ever had? Yes. Wow. Not even, you didn't even have to think about that. Mm-mm. Yeah, I mean, I've I've gone around, like, I I went to, uh, <coughs> where did I go? I went to Cask and Flagon for dinner on Monday. I got order of steak tips, order of mac and cheese, and a lobster roll. I went to, what was it, Joe's on Newberry on Saturday. Order of steak tips, order of mac and cheese, and a lobster roll. And I mean... There's nothing, there's no lobster roll quite like the Fenway Park lobster roll. Like, I go to Kelly's in Saugus, Kelly's Roast Beef. It's on Route 1. Um, they they have a good lobster roll, but, like, it's it's not the Fenway Park lobster roll. I would I would go there in the offseason and, and get lobster rolls from Kelly's just because I'm like, damn, I really miss Fenway Park lobster rolls. And then you'd have it, and it's like, you're not satisfying my urges for the Fenway Park lobster roll. So we'll have it. And they have them in the Gosling's boardroom. I'm excited. Excited to give you guys a little little treat. I'd love to eat a lobster roll with you. That'd be amazing. We can we we haven't gone to a game together yet. Now that we've actually met in person. Yeah. It feels like the next step. Yeah. Just like the next step for the Boston Red Sox is to go to Seattle. The stop and chop look ahead. Here in fucking almost three o'clock in the morning. Uh, game one. Marco Gonzalez. I got to follow him back. I keep fucking forgetting to do that. How long have you been forgetting to do this? A long time. Like I'll see. Like he'll like some of my tweets. Like if I, if I tweet nice things about the Mariners. You know what? I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to do it right now. What a guy. Yeah. I mean, it, it's been it's he deserves it. So usually you're a tough follow. Not in this case. He's earned it in your eyes. Well, here's the thing. He's he likes my tweets when I say nice things about the Mariners. And then I look here at the stop and shop. Look ahead. He's the game one starter for the Seattle Mariners. So I would feel bad if let's just say like I'll scroll down here real quick. Um, Christian Arroyo is two for five with a home run against Marco Gonzalez. If if Marco Gonzalez hit, it gives up a home run to Christian Arroyo and I tweet out in all caps like Arroyo ding dong blah 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 blah, blah like he's gonna see that and I'm gonna feel bad and he's probably gonna think like he's tweeting about me, but he won't tweet with me like he won't like he won't follow like what do you think you're better than me you don't like me no I like Marco Gonzalez just fine I like him just fine and that's why I just followed him so now we're friends. And I I hope he has a I hope he has a great game, but I hope he loses. I hope the Red Sox win the game. That's just that's just me being honest. And, and if he follows me, he should know that. He should know that I I hope the Red Sox win the game. Um, Rich Hill is opposing him, so a couple of crafty lefties going in game one. Michael Walker versus George Kirby in game two, and then Garrett Whitlock versus Robbie Ray. In the series finale on Sunday, that's a 4:10 p.m. start. So if you're a if you're a 162 guy like us, um, your your West Coast late night gauntlet is over on Saturday. And by the way, the uh, the Angels games, those were what 9:38 starts. Yep. As a programming notice, these are 10:10 starts. 
It's the weekend. You ain't got shit to do. So you can stay up. 10-10 starts. Um, starting with Marco Gonzalez, who's 3-6 and six with a 3.59 ERA, 134 whip. The 5.3 strikeouts per nine. He doesn't strike out anybody. <laughs> I like him. But he doesn't fucking strike out anybody. Lowest mark of his whole entire career. This yeah. Year. Gonzalez has sneakily had a four ERA or better every year since 2018. Um, the FIP would tell you. God. Four point, uh, 5.43 FIP. It's the worst of his career. So last year was 528. I mean, he just gets away with having a shitty FIP and a decent ERA. Good for you if you make it to the end of the year that way. He does give up a lot of homers, though. It's 1.7 home run per nine this year, 1.8 last year. Ooh. And correct me if I'm wrong, did the Red Sox not hit a home run in Anaheim? Uh, No, I don't think they did. Who went deep in this series? Am I tripping? Nope. I don't think so. No, I don't think so. They're due. They are due for homer. And he's allowed 11 of them, including one in three straight starts. Uh, Big-time gamer. He's pitched into the sixth inning or later in seven straight starts. He's got the worst whip of his career. Or no, since 2017. So uh, a lot of traffic. Um, his, his pitches pretty much all suck. <laughs> <laughs> this is going great. I'm happy you're following. I mean, I'm, I like him. Maybe we'll have him on the next podcast. I'd love to talk to him about it. But his pitches all suck. The sinker. Uh, cutter curve all have an expected batting of over 300 and an expected slugging of over 580. Yikes. That's not good. It's uh, worse than not good. And the Mariners are four and seven in the games that he starts. Red Sox hitters lifetime hitting 316. Shout out. I'm wearing the fucking Austin 316 shirt right now. The Red Sox as a team are hitting 316 against Marco Gonzalez with an 887 OPS. Uh, Christian Arroyo two for five with a homer. JD four for 11 with a homer. Now you got George Kirby, who is good. He's good. One and one, a 338 ERA, a 109 whip, and 8.7 strikeouts per nine. Uh, he's a young righty, making his seventh career start in the big leagues. He's allowed 12 earned runs so far. Five of those were at the hands of the Boston Red Sox, which is to this day the only loss of his big league career. He went five innings, eight hits, five earned, gave up two bombs. Um, but he's pitched well as of late. Last two starts, 12 innings, two earned runs, 11 strikeouts. Did give up a couple homers, though. Uh, fastball is about 95, throws that 52% of the time. Uh, it's his best pitch, 26% whiff rate. Um, 212 batting average against, 348 slug. And... Uh, the Mariners are three and three when he takes the ball. The two homers that he allowed, this was the Trevor Story game. Trevor Story, two for two with two home runs off of Mr. Kirby. And that would be uh, two for three with a double for Alex Verdugo. <clears throat> then we get to Regression Ray, who I like. I like Robbie Ray. But Jesus Christ, that's a big time regression year. His ERA is basically five, it's a 497. A 132 whip, the 9.8 strikeouts per nine. Uh, he leads the American League in innings. And he leads the majors in starts. Um, his ERA and strikeouts. Or no, this was from last year. Uh, his ERA is uh, about two runs higher than last year. 
and his strikeouts per nine is down about 1.7. Um, he leads he leads the American League in batter's face and earn runs. Yikes. He's allowed three earned runs or more in eight of his 12 starts and five straight. He's been giving up fucking bombs, 14 homers this year. At least one in seven straight starts and three in his last outing. Uh, he faced the Red Sox on May 20th. Six innings, five hits, four in runs, a homer, and an L. The velocity's down. He basically, he's he's become a two-pitch pitcher. He throws a four-seam in the slider. His four-seam fastball velocity has dropped uh, about a mile and a half. Um, slider also right around the same. Uh, the Mariners are six and six in his starts. Doesn't help that fucking Kike is on the IL, but Trevor Story, nine for 30, four homers, and 1175 OPS. And then you get the Weck Dog. Expect the Weck Dog on Sunday because he's fucking five for 11 with a double a homer and a 1357 OPS. This whole series screams the Red Sox hitting homers. Haven't gone deep the last series. Marco Gonzalez. Homers. Homers. Kirby. Trevor Story at the very least. Couple homers. Robbie Ray. Homers. Exactly. So yeah. this should be, the offense has been a little bit cold. Part of that was you sat Devers in the series and you sat Bogarts and Story. Okay. Do what you did last time. Yeah. I mean, the fact that Kevin Pulecki, I mean, Kevin Pulecki's only home run this year is off a position player. I got him taking a, giving up a, uh, we we didn't do fucking Clark's catch-up MVP. God damn it. Um, We're scuffling. Yeah, it's late. Uh, I got Kevin Pulecki taking Robbie Ray deep on Sunday. I do. Wait, who's pitching for the Reds? Oh, Whitlock. <laughs> I don't even know if Pulecki gets in there. <laughs> I mean, he should based on the offensive numbers, but we'll see. Vasquez has been playing so good lately. Yeah, he has been. He has been. Uh, who's the Clark sketch of MVP? I mean, Christian Vasquez. Yeah. Two game winning hits. Yep. But I, I mean, if if it wasn't going to be Vasquez, I was going to say Strom. Um, Fair. Jake, who would you vote for? I, I got Vasquez. There, there's guys who have similar offensive numbers this series, but you just had them in really big moments. Mm. And doing it at first base where he hasn't played this that's year. That's true. You know, that's a major that play. That play, yep. And, you know, I want to give him his credit for that. And I, I think Strom, though, too. It, Strom deserves a lot of love. Kind of securing that ninth inning, that's going to go a long way as well. Yeah. Like, if Christian Vasquez goes over in the finale and Strom fucking – comes out of the pen it's undeniable but yeah i i would say i have to vote for for christian vasquez this might be his first ever clock's catch-up series mvp he's earned it for a guy that has a lot of big hits in his red Sox career um to go in there and squeak out some some big hits and even just he's just he's just doing his job he's not up there trying to hack homers and shoot the gap. It's like, all right, yeah, you want to open up the right side for me? Boom, here we go. Game winner. Um, all right, yeah, Christian Vasquez, uh, Clark Clark's catch-up series MVP. Also caught a complete game. Yeah. Got to give him a little love for that as well. Yeah. Complete game shutout. 
Um, all right. Series predictions for this uh, Seattle Mariners series over the weekend. Jake? Oh. It's the most obvious sweep of all time. <laughs> <laughs> it does smell like a sweep. Like, I'll be honest. Uh, it 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 reeks of sweep. Um, Do you have the cards, though? Do you have the balls? Mm, I mean, would you like me to go? Please. I'll go two out of three. I don't have the balls to say a sweep. Okay. Um, I think there'll be one in there where they probably get caught in the middle a little bit. I'm looking at that George Kirby game. Makes me a little bit nervous. Robbie Ray, Marco Gonzalez, they don't scare me. And I think Trevor Story is going to have himself a series. I think the bat's been a little cold lately. He wakes up. Should have had a homer if he was at Fenway while he while playing in Anaheim. I'm expecting big things from him, especially with the breather. Mm. I mean, I, I, so I'm with you on Kirby. But Michael Walk is probably going to throw a complete game shutout again. Fair point. So do I have confidence in the Red Sox being able to score at least one run? I do. And for that reason, I'm going sweep. Yeah, I think the Red Sox are probably going to sweep this series. Um, yeah, I mean, I love Marco Gonzalez. We're close personal friends now. Um, no chance he he wins. Uh, Robbie <laughs> Ray, same thing. He stinks. No chance. Um, and George Kirby, it's like, all right, maybe if he was matched up against Whitlock, I don't have as much confidence. But Michael Walker. Does George Kirby know that Michael Walker has a sub two this year? I don't think he does. Yeah, it seems pretty stupid to want to pitch that game if you're George Kirby. Um, And the Red Sox did massive damage against that Mariners bullpen last time as well. Big time. So we're only talking about the starting pitchers here. This should be a get right series for the offense. Yeah. Yeah, Red Sox are 4-0 with a plus 13 run differential against the Mariners this year. So, um, yeah, I feel pretty good about sweep. I think they're going to finish off the West Coast trip 9-1. Um, and I feel pretty good about that. If that's where, if that's where they end up, like obviously would have wanted the 10 and 0, but, uh, if they end up nine and one, I'll be, I, I'll be all right with that. <laughs> I think everyone wants to go to sleep. It's uh two 43 AM Eastern standard. Uh, I have to be up in five hours and I'm pretty sure Tyler are you are you punting on sleep or what's what's the plan? Yeah, it's it's not looking good. My alarm goes off in an hour and fifteen minutes. Mm. Uh, no, no. I can tell you that from here it probably takes about twenty minutes to get to Sports Hub. Yeah, that's not bad. It's better than driving to Brockton, probably. I can, I can tell you right now. Uh, I have Sports Hub plugged in here because uh, I mean, obviously, there's no cars on the road. Being no, that it's almost three a.m. I can whip it. A Thirteen little bit. minutes. Oh. That's beautiful. You know what? Maybe I will get an hour. Yeah. Look at yeah, that. You can get a little nap in there. All right. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back uh, Sunday night recording the sweep of the Seattle Mariners. I don't know what kind of shape we'll be in. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll be napping a lot this weekend. I'm not moving from my fucking couch. Um, so we appreciate you guys listening. Everyone on this show works really hard. Uh, it's been uh, It's been a pleasure to to talk about a team that actually did turn around, which doesn't normally happen. Like it just doesn't like when the Red Sox suck, they stay sucking. And when they're good, they sometimes stay good. 
this team is a, is a rarity where it turn it started out where they didn't fucking look like they were going to be very good and uh since May 10th since Alex Cora shaved his beard they're 20 and 9 that is the second best record in baseball they came into play today with the tied for the best record in baseball since then Jared yeah Jake we didn't mention not saying it one time this entire podcast it's cuz we just fucking we're pros at not saying it I just think that's pretty impressive on yeah. our part. We don't even have to talk about it anymore. Yeah. Like, I think most of us, besides Steve, are trained to not say it. So, the listeners know. I think Steve, Steve can't tweet about anything without people jumping. The, like, he tweeted about, like, Jurassic Park, and people were like, fuck you, Steve. Like, don't say it. As they should. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it. He brought it on himself. I don't feel bad. Um, but, yeah, definitely don't say it. Just as a reminder, June 28th, uh, we are... A mere 18 days away from June 28th, which is a international, I, say, I would say national, but it's international holiday because uh, th- I think there's a chance that me and Jake are going to be in fucking Canada for June 28th. We're going to be at the Red Sox. I don't fucking know. Uh, we'll figure it out. Anyways, I'm delusional. Everyone else here is very tired. We're going to go to sleep. And uh, thank you for listening. We'll see you on Sunday slash Monday. Buenas noches, amigos.